really need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Buffalo What's Next. I'm Angeli Preston. And on today's episode, we welcome Latrice Anderson, an outreach worker supervisor, and Adrian Geyer, a social worker from Buffalo Snug, an organization that works to reduce gun violence and improve services to victims of violent crime in the Buffalo area. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Angela. So why don't you tell us what Buffalo Snug is. Okay, so (laughs) we are a violence prevention initiative program that works to reduce gun violence. We mediate conflicts and we work with individuals who are at the highest risk of shooting someone or being shot. And what does Snug stand for? Should never use guns. It's a street outreach program, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it works in correlation with another entity called Brave? Yeah, so Brave is one of our very, like, close partners, like, from the beginning. And they're Buffalo Rising Against Violence. The other thing about Snug is that Buffalo Snug is not just centered in Buffalo. Buffalo Snug is a part of the New York State outreach. So our huge funder is the Department of Criminal Justice Services, DCJS, for the state people. And so we're actually one of 15 sites across the state. So we've got sites everywhere from Niagara Falls all the way down to the Bronx at Jacoby Hospital. What type of things do you both see as far as um, when you're when people come in and they need assistance? So from I guess I'll take it from the victim side. A lot of times when people are injured or they're involved in like you know a gun involved incident what I mostly see is just their whole lives are disrupted and there are just a lot of supports that are are not there for victims of violent crime, like specifically for gun violence incidents. So we're just glad to kind of just be a bridge from, I, I tell clients it's just making things a little bit less less terrible because you've got the injury, you have the recovery, the rehabilitation. Somebody might be out of work for a while. Maybe somebody was about to start work and they end up getting you know injured in a gun-involved incident. So what I see mostly is just people like, one, just their whole lives being turned upside down um, in a lot of different ways Um, and two them really just needing support to get from point A to point B to try to like get stabilized so that's what I mostly that's what I see most often and what about you Latrice Uh, for myself the outreach side um, what I see is children who are or individuals who are often misunderstood children who don't know why they do the things that they do or feel the way that they feel so they're not familiar with their triggers you know what causes them to spiral out so like I said a lot of them are misunderstood versus being bad if that makes you know any sense so I see it on the outreach side that um not trouble but just kid individuals I don't want to keep referring to them as kids because we work with oh you know older individuals as well but individuals who needs to to understand that it's 
people out there like them or who's, who come from that same walk of life. Um, and that, that's made a change. Oftentimes they don't see the change people made, but they see, you know, oh, this person has someone killed too, this person went to jail, but what happened after that? And I would say for the um, participants as well, for the youth that we work with and some of the um, younger adults, um, I would agree they're often misunderstood. And then also too, they have like, so we are described as dealing with the highest risk youth and that's just not with their risk behavior. That is with everything. So, you know, what you call like a global type of thing is untreated mental health, like severe like trauma histories from not even childhood, from birth until they get to us. Oftentimes, a lot of our participants, when they engage with us as SNUG, it's like the only time they can actually be like a teenager. Um, they find it to be the only place where they can actually be safe enough to kind of let down their guard and be like an actual kid. So that's what I see. So when they say the highest risk youth, it's in every kind of sphere of their life that you can imagine. It's not just the behaviors that unfortunately, you know, give them a propensity to, you know, go to violence first versus trying to talk it out. So that's what I see too. Yeah. Just misunderstood. Do you both um, in the work that you do when you meet these children or, or adults, can you relate to some of the things that, that they tell you? Some of the stuff I've grown up around, but I was never in. So some stuff, um, I'm going to be honest, I can't really relate to. Like, I don't know what it's like to be so fearful that I, or feel so unsafe that I need to carry. However, I understand as a human being, you need to f feel safe. And if you've all your life been in survival mode, I can, I can understand, like, that perspective. I can understand, you know, um, why, you know, in a moment somebody might not be feeling very talkative and they might want to, you know, use a very permanent solution <laughs> for like a temporary problem especially if they don't know how to like work their feelings out so some of that stuff I can relate to but some of the lives that they lead um, I can't say that like I know what that's about because I've only observed it as an outsider because I grew up on the east side you know Adams and Peck I'm 31 whoo <laughs> so I've only observed it as an outsider um, but I think um, our outreach workers and probably Latrice probably relate, relate a little bit more um, definitely. Um, every story is unique. Um, however, when, when these individuals tell them, it's like I've heard it before, just in a different, you know, scenario or, you know, just a different name to it, but it's constantly like the same story. You know, they're affected by uh, what we see in the neighborhood, you know, the drugs, uh, the gun violence. Um, Not having like gardens and trees to look yeah, at. Yeah, you, you know, know public your parents, uh, uncle in prison, you know, I, prostitute, like it, I come from it. So I can relate to what these individuals, you know, to, a lot of them don't have any hope. You know, they think that they grow up and this is just it. You know, so we try to help them to see a better and brighter future. Like it, it's more to just you know, becoming an adult and just going out there, working a job, coming back to the same environment. You could change your environment. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we're challenged to do is we challenge their norms, like what they perceive as normal with, you know, other things um, because we want to shift their norm, and that is the long game. So that's one of the things that 
we're very like aware of is that's the long game. Like you have someone who, even if they are 15, some of these 15 year olds we engage with, they, it's like, they don't live like a thousand lifetimes, Mm -hmm. you know, they're doing stuff that a 15 year old, you know, if they had the supports, they would, you know, they wouldn't be doing, you know, they're like whole adults doing adult things with the adolescent brain. Mm -hmm. And it takes time to shift that norm, you know, it's not like a it's not the easiest job to do but it's, it is very rewarding but yeah we're tasked with that as well what do you say to someone when they come in and they to give them hope because hope was one of the things the trees that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, what what do you say or do to to give them that hope that there is you know there there's more to than just what you see right now there's there's the long game like mm-hmm. you said adrian Usually, I feel like, I don't know if you feel the same, but usually it's like the small stuff, like them coming in and just being kind, like, you know, saying hello. You know, I'm, I I always say this to them. It's like, oh, thanks for coming to our party. You know, you're welcome here. Just making them feel welcome is one way. So for me, I feel like it's like the little small interactions in between or, you know, a kid comes in, you know, are you hungry? You know, we have chips. Do you want some water? You know. We have a studio, um, so music is really what opens a lot of them up as well. So I think, though, it's not like the events and stuff that our team does. I think it's like those small interactions, them actually finding places like, oh, well, I am welcome here. Or they mention, like, some kind of problem that they're having, and we just offer a different solution that they didn't think about before. Or they didn't know that, you know, I don't know something like I'm, I always say this and I should you know maybe a kid's interested in underwater basket weaving I don't know maybe they didn't know that was a career <laughs> and I, we I take underwater basket yeah I'm just, make, I'm just making something so you know um, I know we have had kids who've come in though like you know they're interested in welding I mean we go into discussions well you know you can do an underwater welder you can make almost six figures right after your training you know you have to get trained for school but we just show them like the things in their imagination you know there is a reality and a path for that now it's not going to happen tomorrow but if it's something that they want to do we can support it ultimately though with the hardest part for us i think is they still have to decide to walk it mm-hmm. and it's a, you know and it's a challenge you know i want to talk about uh your paths to the career that you both are doing now because you mentioned that it's, it's hard work but it's also rewarding uh, both of you are from buffalo are from the east side mm-hmm. adams Cold Spring. (laughs) (laughs) And Latrice, I want to start with you first, um, because I read your background that you were affected directly by gun violence, which led which led to your career path. Now you were majoring in criminal justice at ECC. Can you just tell us more about that? I've always wanted to be on that side of the the wall. Now I'm on this side, but I always wanted to be a police officer since I was a younger, uh, a little girl. My uncle was a security guard and I first was affected by gun violence when my uncle um, took the life of somebody. But I didn't realize that until later on, that that was my first, you know, trauma from gun violence. My uncle, who was like a father figure to me, was ripped away from us, you know, sentenced to 17 and a third. So, Started hanging with the wrong people, started getting a little, you know, infatuated with guns for some reason. I like guns. They they was pretty. Gold ones, you know, silver ones. I don't know. It, it was weird. Picked up my first gun and shot my first gun at 12 years old. 
Um, what I realize now is I could have been killed when the police came into my backyard and I had this 12-gauge shotgun in my hand and they could have shot me right right then and there. They didn't. They didn't even arrest me. I, I can't remember too much of it. But moving you know, along, it was when I had just had my daughter. She was three weeks old. Me and my fiance, we decided, you know, it's been a long couple of months with the pregnancy. Let's go out for the first time after uh, giving birth to her. And we decided to stop at a gas station prior to going to the bowling alley. And for some reason or another, someone decided that they was going to take his life. So that was like really, I don't know what it did. It, it did something though in, in two ways. Like it made me want to change, but it made me want to retaliate. If, you know, I'm, I'm human. So then I wanted to retaliate. Then I wanted the person who's responsible for taking my daughter's life. I wanted his family to feel the same thing that I felt. He was caught right then and there. He went to jail. So I wanted the family to experience, like I said, what I experienced. Um, so again, spiraling out of control, end up catching a case of my own, a gun charge. And that sat me down. Uh, and, and it that was... My higher power uh, way of telling me I need to talk to you, you know. So I did a year in what was called the Alternative to Incarceration House. So I didn't have to go to prison, thank God. I, I was the toughest of the toughest back then, but I wasn't built for prison. I don't care what anybody say. It wasn't going there. So with that is where um, I went to mental health. Um, I got the counseling for that, and I started to understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Fast forward however many years later, because, you know, with catching my case, it was hard for me to find a job. I was, I was in school, criminal justice. I'm not going to be, you know, in that field anymore, so I got to change my major. You know, um, let me try nursing. Can't do that because I'm a convicted felon. Here's school. Can't, I even got to even be a, a, you know, a licensed cosmetology, you got to get something from the state. So, you know, everything just was like slapping me in the face, like, mm, you can't do anything. And it's like, dang, I became a convicted felon, you know, because I didn't have the help that I needed. Like now, we got snug. So if someone is affected by gun violence now, we step in. We there from the beginning to whenever, you know, as soon as it happened, because I know that it's somebody who's going to feel the same way that I felt. It's a mother out there who's going to lose the father of their child, and they're going to want that family to feel what they're feeling. So I got to step in and try to show that young lady it's a different way. Like, it's it's okay to feel how you feel. Can't nobody change how you feel, but what you going to do with them feelings, you know? So I, I kind of didn't do the right thing, but I didn't have me. I didn't have, you know, social worker Adrian. I, I didn't have snug. These individuals have that now. So when they go out here, they commit these crimes or, you know, be shot, we have the ability to show them why they, you know, may be experiencing what they're experiencing. Your background, you know, the kids you hang around, you know, guilty by association, all that stuff. We're able to teach them. And it also sounds like that you are the perfect person to talk to them because it seems like you're not talking at them because you've lived and you've had these shared experiences that they can relate to. Mm -hmm. So it's not just someone saying, don't do this because, you know, I didn't do it. It's like, don't do this because I lived it. And that's not the way. No. Yeah. And yeah. even when I engage, because again, like I... I was never about that life. Even when I engage with these kids, like, it's never a don't do that. It is more of a 
me helping them, which is what social workers do, is as person in the environment. And then also one of the big things we do is challenge people's like worldview, especially when it comes to something like gun violence. If you are getting so upset that your first mind is to harm someone violently, we need to kind of talk about what is leading you up to that. Because it couldn't be that situation. There were a thousand other things you could have done what happened in that moment that those other things were not an option or that you weren't thinking clearly enough to get to that option. So, and it's never a, you know, you should. Now, what we are clear about is when these kids are getting into the stuff that they're getting into are the consequences. So just to make it very clear, all our snug staff are very clear with these kids about this is the road you're going down and this is what the consequences may potentially look like and once that happens you know we really can't some of these kids think you know we can like kind of save them but that's not that's not really the role we play we have really great relationships like with courts and stuff like that so they know that if a kid is really participating in snug that the likelihood of them being engaged in the high-risk behavior goes down which is mm-hmm. what our motto is but we're very clear about the consequences so talking at them and saying you know don't that that does not work. That is not an approach that works with these kids at all. One, because they're hard to engage from the jump. And then if they don't feel that acceptance, which is what they really do need, like they're not like they're not coming back, you know. That's we have like one time to make a mistake mm-hmm. and we will not see them again. Do you think that social media plays a role mm-hmm. in influencing these children cuz I know back then, I'm, we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. We didn't have Instagram and Facebook was just getting started. Social media is a lot. Like for me, it's like if you got like, you know, beat up or whatever, like in your neighborhood, it was, you know, whoever was out there, you know, at the Mm -hmm. time, you know, knew about it. Now it's like a world star. You can have a whole worldwide audience. And that is something like social media. It's like the magnets, like how it makes it so much bigger and like the order of magnitude now that the conflict has makes yeah social media definitely influences and sometimes it makes it way more dangerous yeah it, it just adds uh fuel to anything when it comes to social media because like you said you could have um someone who's who's a good fighter like you know always been a fighter and then they fight somebody else who always been a fighter that person lose his friends can make him feel a certain type of way you know. Which is gonna cause, like you gonna let you gonna you gonna just get beat up like that? Oh, everybody see it. It's on world stars everywhere. Man, you gotta do something about it here. Take all gun. What you gonna do? So it's it just adds you know that fuel. Uh, it makes things ten times worse. I just wish it wasn't. It makes everything worse. How do you address that with the with the kids? Like, what is their what do you say? What do you do? Is there anything that you say? For, Block them. Well, for, which is Block one them. thing yeah. that they just will not do. Yeah. These kids will send like, their enemies their location because it's a prideful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I don't send you my drop, then I'm, I'm a sucker. But if I send you my drop, that means I'm tough. No, that don't. It's so that means you're a fool. Yeah. Send somebody your, your, your drop. But this is what's happening. It's become the the thing. It is. And when we ask these kids to, you know, as far as like safety planning, don't engage with this person, hit the block button. You know, folks would think that we are asking these kids to give a vital, you know, (laughs) organ. (laughs) You know, you would think we're asking them to give 
us their hearts, okay? When we say, you know, this is not safe. But to Latrice's point, in their mind, you know, it's like a, you know, a disrespect thing if they don't show their location. And for us, we're like, that is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, You already have such a high conflict. Um, We're trying to get it resolved. um, But this is where, this is just where their minds are at because of the environments that they're in. So social media, sometimes it makes it hard to track and it makes, it definitely makes us have to be a little bit more skillful in how we approach but yeah it's um yeah when we tell the kids hey block them like just unfriend them it's like it's like a whole thing it's a whole thing to add to that like i'm big on social media so uh with our participants like i get into their business that's why i like the time i get into your business uh because that's that's what you need you know i'm not your friend i'm your outreach worker y'all can call me auntie y'all can call me but I'm here for you. So I get in a business. I'm, I'm constantly on a social media. So if I see something, you post a gun, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on that. And that's what they need. They don't need people not speaking up. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're not supposed Like, you know, that's not smart. The police watches Facebook, and it just makes people look at you different, like as if you always have a gun or you don't want to be portrayed as being a gun toter. That's one thing that we do, like social media, we're going to keep following up with that. Like, you're going to think you get away with it? Like, no, I'm on you. And I'll say from experience, we have daily staff meetings. The kids are always shocked. Mm-hmm. How we How know so not much. know that? <laughs> it's like. It's social media. So like, <laughs> and oh, it's they like, snitching on me. No, and it never, it never ceases. Like, they're never not surprised. Yeah. I've been with Snug for three years, and the kids are never not surprised when our outreach team is piecing things together based off of social. So they're never not surprised. And that is always just, it's just always been an interesting experience with that. And that's, and again, that leads to like, you know, these kids are risky, you know, as far as their behavior, because one, it's social media, and then they still decide to do it. And then they're shocked at the folks who are making attempts to keep them safe, Mm -hmm. making attempts to ensure that things don't spiral out of, you know, more out of control. Are like you know watching them like hogs so it, that that's always been an interesting experience yeah they're never not shocked and maybe a little embarrassed like <laughs> oh my god how did adrian how yeah. did latrice find this out i've <laughs> had that start too thinking yeah. about what to put on you know even as adults like i have to think before i put mm-hmm. you know i'll be like oh i want to share and i'll be like someone's not gonna like that so i don't so it's yeah. getting them to think about it like you got your parents that might be on your social media your grandmother you know but it's not being a mother either. Like, oh, take that off. It's like, oh, dude, what's up? Like, I see that on social media, mm-hmm. you know? Because I don't want to get blocked. I don't want none of the kids to block me now. <laughs> so I don't cry too much. I just be like, yeah, I seen you live, you know? Yeah. So. What about, have you had any children that have been through the program and then they've come back and have said, I learned so much or thank you for being there? And their life trajectory has changed since being in the program? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we, one of my very first participants graduated out of the program, uh, what, I want to say two years ago. Mm-hmm. He's doing so well. And to get him from the point where he was at to where he is, where when I say he wouldn't even get on a bus to go to work. It he was couldn't. yeah he couldn't so it's a community safety issue yeah. so yeah so it was steps that I had to take like you know okay I'm gonna drive you all the way to Grand Island today and tomorrow you know for this week but you got to meet me halfway you got to meet me somewhere so I got him from wouldn't get on the bus at all 
to okay i'm gonna get on the bus at least uh from the greyhound to out there to now i'm gonna take the bus from the greyhound home that's a big step for somebody who's worried about someone shooting them or killing them or even his his uh, brother um he's graduated he now has a car he's doing good he hasn't been arrested and we're talking i want to say two and a half years wow um and that's just one of them some graduate out the program unfortunately they uh, they get arrested again but they know where they can come back and get that that assistance you know they come home from jail they know where they could come so there's always that that open door Mm -hmm. to to try again the job the objective is for the participants to become outreach workers because we're the credible messengers. It's us that's going to get the next generation to where they need to be. You know, we need credible messengers, people who come from that. Someone who comes from uh, Orchard Park can't tell me how to survive in Buffalo. You can't at all. So we need people who come from that. So it's, it's good to get them and train them up so that they can be outreach workers and help the next generation. Walk me through, or walk us through rather, when the the process of when the hospital receives a victim of of a gunshot wound mm-hmm. or a gun of gun violence. What are the next steps that you take? So it de- it depends on the incident. So um, the other thing about Buffalo Sanug is we don't typically cover um, the whole of Buffalo. So there are specific targeted areas. Um, however on like the victim's assistance side, I can assist, you know, anyone, you know, within, you know, New York State. Um, So when we're notified, we're typically notified by our partners at Brave, um, sometimes via email. There are occasions though where the outreach team gets a call before the hospital does. At the same time, the police is receiving the call. Right. (laughs) So that can happen. And so one of the things we do because, um, because with victims assistance, it could be any victim that may need assistance that I serve. I tend to prioritize those in the Buffalo Snug target area. So if it is someone in the target area, um, I do, you know, speak with Latrice, whatever outreach workers assigned to follow up about what their needs may be. Um, their needs may be um, not much, and it's up for them to decide. It could be not much. It could be they do need to file for compensation through the state with the OVS application. Maybe they got injured and they're going to be out of work for the next six to eight weeks. That's something that I can assist with. And then on the outreach side, maybe they were injured because there's like this ongoing conflict, and then that's something that can be mediated, um, and then they take over. So we we kind of work in tandem with each other. So just because we're assisting, you know, a crime victim with like OVS doesn't mean the mediation part of it stops. Often all of these things are being done kind of simultaneously depending on the level of conflict and depending on how um, severe like the incident is. That's typically what happens, but we're typically notified by the hospital and sometimes I'm notified by my outreach team members. Mm-hmm. How yeah. do you decide what a target what a target area is does that go through state data it's the state yeah. Give. Yeah. yeah it goes through give so we um we didn't determine it so give we basically have uh the target areas we cover they have the highest gun like incidents mm-hmm. um they're the zip codes with the highest yeah. um so it's give and Maybe that on the east side yeah do you think that gun violence is is getting better in the city is the same or is there still work that needs to be done 
like we got a lot of work so, to do. Uh, a lot of work that needs <laughs> to be done. It's getting worse. Um, uh, yeah. For myself, like with these ghost guns, um, with all the guns, it's just like, how are these kids getting all these guns? Like, I go on mobile patrol almost every day, and it's like 10, 12 people arrested for guns. It's like, okay, that's 10, 10 yesterday. Like, where's all these guns coming from? Y'all getting some off the street, but more is coming in. So, it's a big problem, not just in our city throughout the nation yeah and i would say i would agree it is getting worse and for me it is the accessibility like it's so accessible and then with people's you know tolerance for actually just being kind and like decent i don't know if it's from social media i don't know if COVID made it worse but a lot of times when we get notices of like a gun involved incident stuff like that last year it was like a family gathering it was family it wasn't anything like you know there's you know opposing like crews and stuff like that it was a lot of family stuff it mm-hmm. was a lot of domestic Isolated. violence it was like a lot of like road rage we had quite a few like road rage incidents mm-hmm. so for me it's getting worse not only the access to like the youth but just like statewide you know nationwide people are have more access and that leads to just more violence in general so that's the pattern that we've been seeing and the fact that people think that the way that that the gun is the only way out yeah like she said different incidents road rage all that like when we get down to the bottom end like why why did this happen because somebody cut you off like you you shot their car up and almost killed somebody like the accessibility and the yeah. fact that they think that they could just use guns for anything and that's just and it's dangerous yeah. so that's what we those are the patterns that we have we have been seeing and so, COVID, yeah. i think definitely made it worse um, oh my the numbers in our target area was down um it was like nine i don't want to you know i don't like numbers like that but i want to say like 98 shootings in uh 2019 and then 2020 went up to like 130 something and this was during covid the pandemic yeah Yeah. so you know the pandemic made it did something to our our people our community for sure yeah because 2020 i think for our target era is like 84 and then 2021 it was like 158 yeah so it It went from 84 to how much to 158 in our target area so that's not even all above so it was so it was so hard and then i started with snug june 1st 2020 so that was yay me it was it was that was uh, i hit the ground running with the rest of the team how do you decompress for both of you how do you um because i imagine dealing with the with in with this type of work the mental and emotional toll and physical toll it takes on you both Mm -hmm. um one of the things is actually uh, she doesn't know this but actually talking with Patrice and talking with my outreach team like in the office just knowing that we're not like by ourselves and then I have supervision from like the state so if you're you know when you're a licensed social worker you get like supervision so that helps and then also talking with my colleagues across the state I do like right now I'm back in the gym like hiking like I like to cook I like to be like get outside I go to a lot of live music so I just have the things that typically keep me in a good mood I've just I have like a whole plan for myself like I've ramped I significantly ramped all of that up when I got the position here so there's a lot of things that I do it's like a 
it's not just one thing it's just so many things and then I have very supportive like friends and family so that helps because choosing to work in this again it's not the easiest thing and even I think we sometimes can actually be misunderstood for choosing to work in this but I have very supportive friends and family and then you know hiking and cooking and making sure I take like actual time off and use it those things yeah leaving on time those are the things that I do Latrice, what about you? <laughs> it's her favorite question. She always asks, like, oh, what are you doing for self-care? And it's like, this is my self-care. She um, has gotten better over the years, yeah, I will say. Yeah, I yeah. have uh, <laughs> tried to start taking time for myself, but it's hard for myself because I live work. If, if it makes sense, like, my work, my home is work, my work is home. Just going to say that. So it, I'm constantly working. But lately, I've noticed... Yeah, that you know I love to cook I love to clean you know listen to my music and all that I've been taking trips going to Houston my favorite place been doing things Mm -hmm. however I think my best therapy is these children they are my like when I'm off two days I want to get back to work I want to hear from from the individual so that is my therapy I'm gotta find another one but (laughs) you have gotten you have actually gotten better I remember when I first was just like, oh, we had a particularly like trying week and those happen a lot during the summer. And I was just like, you probably need like a couple of days off. And, you know, Latrice, she just gave me the the Latrice look (laughs) (laughs) as if, you know, like I was speaking a foreign language, (laughs) but this was years ago. So she actually has gotten better. I'm glad when I see her and actually our outreach team taking time off, like, planning to take time off like you know leaving on time or you know taking care of what they need to take care of and then kind of moving away from it but that's like a lot of our outreach team and that's not just at the buffalo site that's across the state because they're credible messengers and they are from the community there is overlap and there likely always will be because of they're they're recruited specifically as an asset because of the community they come from, they're looked at as leaders. They're sometimes the only resources for people, you know, to connect, you know, people who have been, you know, really like our community has just been, you know, oppressed, like depressed and all, you know, any other S you can think of. A lot of our outreach team members before they came to Snug was that connection and was that resource and was that asset. So then when they get hired, there is always overlap just because they're recruited from there. So the other reason why social workers are at the site is to kind of like tease that out is to how do we get a self-care strategy for you? That's going to be effective. How are we going to keep like poking at you to be like, Hey, you need, you need to be out of the office or, Hey, you have, you know, you're, you're literally injured or you're on medical leave. Why, why are you here? You know, why are you calling me on your day off? What What's going on? You know, whether you have a client or not, like, you are entitled to have that time off. So it's a, again, it's a it's a challenge with our outreach team because they just do so much and there's so much expectation from community members on them prior to coming to Snug. And with Snug, it's just like that much more so. But yeah, you've gotten better with the self-care. And, and with this type of job, being out, it's hard to take off because you never know when you're needed, yep. which is very hard for me. I can't set my phone down if I travel my phone is with me I go to I'm answering my phone because I just (laughs) never know when you know if I can't be of assistance I'm gonna get somebody 
you know that I can't, but I can't not answer the phone. It's so just you're on call twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. Three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that's, Hello. That's the next yeah. step. <laughs> so but they they've gotten better not reaching out at you know, so late, but yeah. You mentioned Adrian uh trying that some weeks were trying, trying mm-hmm. and it made me think of five fourteen. How was five fourteen for the both of you? It um that is when Actually, all year, I never imagined taking this position, my life would have so much crossover. But earlier in the year, there was um, an incident at McKinley, and my son, he graduated from McKinley. So that was one incident that kind of entered, like, kind of my work and family life kind of crossed over. And then this happened, and it I don't know how to describe it. I'm pretty sure I'm still managing like how to get through like 514. And I don't even know if that's really an expectation, but it affected me very like personally 514 for a lot of reasons, uh, mostly because Zanetta and I have been friends for like fourth grade. I'm talking about. (laughs) So that was a crossover. And then just the neighborhood like I know a lot of people who live in that neighborhood you know the Merriweather library I am good friends with Brandy Merriweather so it was just like all of the things like all of the time and it was just like awful at least 514 for me so as it was for a lot of people and it it affected me a lot because of the people that like I know and because it affected like our community so deeply so yeah it you know, I think I'm still dealing with it if I'm like being transparent. So it was, it was tough. It still is difficult. It's very, very difficult. What about you, Latrice? Probably one of the hardest things with just working here with Snug, and I, I done been through uh, some stuff in these almost six years. But when I go back to that day, ooh, it was hard. It was hard getting that call. You know, when I look back at, uh, it's this picture on my phone that I look back on. I took of my granddaughter who I just took in to get some McDonald's. And it's significant because we were going to Tops. Like I was going to get chicken for the house. And she was like, Grandma, I want McDonald's. I was like, you know what? We're going to get you McDonald's. Forget them grown kids in our house. They could find something else to eat. And I'm glad I made that decision. Because ain't no telling me, you know, the type of person I am but I just wouldn't have had one to be there so it takes me back to that then getting a phone call you know oh it's a shooting at tops it's like I'm not thinking it's a mass shoot I'm thinking one of these dang gone participants like you know yep. we got to go up here because it's our mm-hmm. target area and then I'm getting more call. no it's a mass shooting and it was like really hard it was scary I didn't want to know who the victims were mm-hmm. because I'm from that that community. Like, I grew up in the Cold Springs, so I didn't want to know. The next day I was out there, but I decided I can't be here. So I took we a couple had, of days. We had, like, actually a training that, like, yeah. coincided. And actually one of my colleagues from Rochester actually came to the site um, and helped. Our outreach team typically does not do work like this. <laughs> And it was interesting because our outreach team was out there basically doing like assessments and getting information from community members about what they needed. So the outreach team, that's what they do. They do outreach in this particular like tragedy. They just went above and beyond Mm -hmm. and outside of their scope because it, you know, even though it wasn't 
you know, technically what's in our model. This was like a horrible tragedy. So they actually got some very valuable information that kind of influenced how the state decided to put in supports and stuff like that for you know, 14208 and 14209. They did a fantastic job with that, but that's just what they do. So Buffalo Snug was like really uniquely prepared because they deal with shootings all the time to kind of help. Yeah, and they canvas all the time and they're always talking. And again, because they're from the community, you're gonna get a different response versus someone who community members are not familiar with. So they were able to do that. But yeah, fire that, it it was horrible. But I think going back, when I did go back, uh, like maybe, what, four days afterwards, yeah. it was like, I like I got to do this. Yeah. I got to do this for my community. So we hit the streets. We had some outreach workers from Rochester yeah. Snug come down. They helped us. Uh, we canvassed, and it was like, it, it did something. It, you know, just to be there and listen to those mm-hmm. that live right there, like their concerns and their needs and and to be that help and then we was able to go back like a week later two Mm -hmm. weeks later and give out gift cards to hundreds of people who had you know signed up and said that they needed something yeah so that was a blessing when they seen us coming they was like oh you know those other people they came they left like it was like that's to be expected you know but we here this is our community so it's not the last time you're gonna see us we canvas over here often so, so that, that was, was good. Yeah, was yeah that was good. After 514, uh, all this money, the state, the governments, federal and state, mm-hmm. said they were pouring all this money into the east side to help fix the east side and to provide yeah. equity. We got some interesting responses to what people wanted. So, <laughs> so uh, what? <laughs> you know, we but, got we got roofs. We got, um, you know, a lot, which was interesting to me. Because I like to, that's the other thing I didn't mention for SoCal. I do like to garden. I just haven't had one in a while. But um, people wanted flowers. Um, people were saying flowers. Washers, um, dryers. You know, we got that too. Yeah, washers, dryers, needing a new fridge. So we got a lot of interesting. Um, that 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 pothole in front of my house fixed. Like mm-hmm. literally somebody, <laughs> somebody, wrote, somebody wrote that out. So we had a lot of interesting responses. I, I compiled it um, and sent it off. Um, not expecting the response to it because in the past I've done data collection and reports and stuff like that and never have seen anything like that. So it was good that the state was able to kind of use that to influence their choices. Um, but yeah, some of the, yeah, there's a, there is a lot of money like coming in. Yeah. Um, however, yeah. <laughs> some people who live in that community, which I do, aren't seeing it seeing it and it's because oh you apply for this but you make too much money yeah. you know mm. was that type of thing and i don't think that that should have been the case like if it was given to it like yeah so it was a lot with that and some places was talking about loans and take doing a lien against your house so it was a lot of places i believe received the money but the way they were going about distributing was just like not it's almost like you know you've experienced such a traumatic event but oh, you make ninety thousand dollars a year, yeah. so you'll be fine. Right, and it's just like <laughs> no. Right, when the reality is, is you know, a lot of things are developed to be equal, but that's really not, you know, to be truthful, it's not adequate. Equitable types of approaches and equitable access to resources, it doesn't look equal. It can't. It can't be because what works for one is likely not going to work for the other. So you do have to be a little bit more skillful and wise when you're doing these things. So to have like funds available 
you know, in a community and to, you know, have that a part of it. If you make a certain amount, we're going to take a lien when that's like the only asset this person probably has. They're probably not going to, you know, right. they're probably not going to want to access that. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, they're doing the best that they can with, you know, within the established system. It just might need to take a little bit more skill and a little bit more wisdom to kind of maybe reconfigure some things so that the people who do need it and really the folks who really do deserve it can get access to it so that they can get the help that they need so yeah, yeah. Build Buffalo, like that the, the, you know those houses over there all that is just needs help yeah have you both seen any improvements in the areas that you're from that you grew up in that you were raised the only thing that i'm noticing is the construction i gotta be honest that's like the only thing i'm noticing the construction work is that an improvement do you think or I guess I don't know I guess I have feelings about it too so I'll choose my words carefully I feel that when 514 happened a lot of the questions about you know I feel that our community has been assessed to death and what I mean is there's like 50 at least 50 years worth of you know data on poverty like housing and things like that to where we shouldn't need even more money to like reassess after 514 what people need like what our community needs is the same thing everyone else wants you know safety public art you know green space you know so the old lady be able to sit on their their porches you know and talk crap you know (laughs) about the young people or whatever they want and do it safely so the only thing that I have really seen is you know them doing things that should have been done you know 30 40 years ago they're now solving you know problems that people have been requesting to be solved for decades so I mean it is a good thing but for me it should have just come sooner and it shouldn't have taken something this horrific for the spotlight to be you know on the east side so it's a complicated feeling that I have like I'm glad about it to a certain degree but there's another part of me that's just like it shouldn't it shouldn't have taken this to do right by people who just want to you know live a safe and you know happy life and be able to have you know whatever one else has in their community you know not everybody wants to move out to Clarence and Williamsville and you know Amherst to have the life that they want a lot of people want to stay connected to their community and they have every right and they should be able to safely do so without something like this happening in order for that to to trigger like you know funds and stuff so that's how I feel it's just a very complicated feeling that I have yeah Latrice to be honest with you um only thing I've seen that changes these speed bumps (laughs) which is like to be honest I don't (laughs) really see that much of a change now when we go outside of my community I love my city I tell people I love my city Mm -hmm. you got people my age that oh I can't wait to leave Buffalo I'm like I love Buffalo I go to Outer Harbor it's beautiful Canal Side beautiful I go over to beautiful however I mean Buffalo is it's it's, I love my city that's all I'm gonna say just the speed bumps the speed bumps. <laughs> I've noticed those to be a construction and the speed bumps. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is this? Great. <laughs> Another speed bump? Yeah. <laughs> where is the grass that, in the park? Like, but where, is that where our taxpayer money is going, going to? to speed bumps. Yeah. Speed bumps. Yeah. Well, we need to be opening up these centers so these kids could get out the street and yep. stop being shot at and stuff. But we talking about speed bumps. Stop them from going on high-speed chases and stuff, in my opinion. But... Hey, come on. Or how about putting 
houses on the vacant lots. Yeah. And I think that's and I think yeah. that's the other thing. It's just like there are you know, there are so many things and again these are, you know, all of my feelings, like, you know, a hundred percent. Like I feel like there's so many ways that things could be done just better. What the what the obstacles are, you know, I know it's like I know like all of these things are very complex and complicated. Um, but typically for me, you know, it's either you have someone in a position to decide to do it or not. And a lot of, so the other part of my job that I do (laughs) very well is I've run, you know, programs and I've had programs under my belt is one of the things that I do is I do, I do look for the loopholes because that's, you know, that's what I'm there for. There are going to be barriers to serving especially unfortunately especially our community members you know they make up you know stuff that you've never even seen before as far as kind of making access to the resource obstacle so I feel like there's ways to get around certain things that have been in place and I understand that it's complicated but it just seems that there's just a lack of care when it comes to us and the things that we need like as a community and again these are not you know novel things like you know, safe, affordable housing, which is a nationwide issue. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of green spaces that are not even, you know, they're not even being, you know, really, you know, utilized well. You know, we have a lot of people who live under the poverty line. How can we make that equitable? So I think there just needs to be a bit more care when we're thinking about, like, how to improve things, like, moving forward. Because people are, you know, out here in survival mode, and they may not have the capacity, you know, it's hard to get somebody out to, you know, vote or, you know, go to a town hall meeting if they have children and they're working, you know, doubles, you know, it's hard to get them to come to something. And so I think we have to just, now that's the assessment that I would like to see. I think people just need to be better at assessing the audience and the communities that they're attempting to serve and then kind of, the outcomes may look different if they kind of relook at that. But what people want in like the Cold Spring community and like really all of our community, they just want safety and want to be able to live their lives, you know, like Patrice, go to Houston every now and again and be safe enough to go outside and, you know, have their kids able to play, you know, without hurting themselves on a random rock, you know what I mean? Like they just want safety and to be, you know, connected in their community. So yeah i wanted to talk about some of the uh things that you both are trained in because i I found it so intriguing latrice street relapse hip-hop therapy and you both are trained in motivational interviewing Mm -hmm. please explain what each of those are so motivational interviewing really like in in a nutshell it really is it's a method just to tap into Uh, individuals like internal motivations for change so motivational interviewing is all about changing changing you know for the better it's a process and there's like a there's a lot more to it than this but it's tapping into the individual like there's nothing external that's going to like force somebody to make a change every change that anyone has ever done it's always been like a very reflective, introspective like type of thing. So it's like, you know, I'll use a very, you know, basic example. You know, you're in your kitchen. You don't like what that wall color is. <laughs> you know, you don't like that wall color for whatever reason. It, you know, it might remind you of somebody. Um, it just looks bad. It just, you feel bad when you go in the kitchen. 
um, you decide to change it for those reasons. So basically motivational interviewing, and I'm making this very, very simplified. So anybody who is trained in this, please know, I know it's more than this, but (laughs) it really is tapping into that internal motivation to see and to kind of guide a person along to kind of change. And it is, and again, it's, it's difficult. It's not like the easiest thing. It's not like the easiest thing to do. Um, and street relapse, uh, which is one of my favorite, uh, trainings that I've had being here with snug, um, because it's real, you know, people don't understand like relapse is not just drugs and alcohol and prostitution could be a relapse too. Uh, you know, and, and even boosting. You could relapse in all different areas if you don't have the tools that, you know, the, stw- the what is it, how many steps in, in, in A or 12 steps or 10 steps? You need that in street relapse too when, when they're dealing with the streets. It's, it's when you come from the street and you have people who still in the street, that's when you got to really check yourself because like that you could relapse. You have a, a let's say, for instance, you have a child who's heavily in the streets. And that child, something happens to that child. As a mother, your instinct is protect my kid. Right. Which could cause you to possibly pick up a gun or call your, your family member, you know, anything like that. So when you when it comes to street relapse, it's important to remember the steps that you was given so that you don't go down that road. Because some people ain't no coming back from it once they relapse. Same thing with with drugs. You relapse, it ain't no guarantee you coming back from it. Um, Then we talk about hip-hop therapy, um, which was a good training that we had. Uh, It talks about um, how therapeutic music is. So not just hip-hop, but like R&B or trap music, whatever. Um, The words, the lyrics, like what it means. It's always telling a story. Some people listen to music and only hear the music and don't hear the words. So it's been plenty of times, I guess I do hip-hop therapy when I'm cleaning up. I, I like to listen to a certain music. Mm-hmm. You know, my back-in-the-day R&B is going to get me in a different mood. In 90s you know, R&B, right. yes. <laughs> and just because I listen to a slow song don't mean I'm feeling that way. It's what helps me. It might take me down memory, lo- memory lane and smile, you know, the thinking hey. behind it. But it, it's therapeutic. Art. It's a mu- yeah, yeah, it's a music therapy, and it also helps us connect with you know youth who you know have these high risk behaviors. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take and Tupac is probably the best example I can think of. If you just take Tupac's name off of anything that he's done, and you present it in a poetic format, you know there is like a lyricism there. There's you know literary devices. There are things that he's doing like to tell his story. So that is where it goes as well. So it's a music therapy and it definitely is helpful for us, especially with these kids to be able to connect through music. So that's one of the ways that we get them to kind of buy into. We have the studio. I'll also ask them, you know, who they're listening to. I may not know who any of these people are, but <laughs> listening to, you know, what they listen to, it helps me put them together too. Cause mm-hmm. you can learn a lot about a person by the music that they listen mm-hmm. to. So hip hop therapy, it's a music therapy and it's very, like it's very effective in helping us connect. Where can people go find out more about what you do? We are on Facebook under Buffalo Snug, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the stuff that we do, we post there. Any events that we have, community events, we'll post there. Yeah. 
Latrice Anderson and Adrian Geyer from Buffalo Snug. Thank you so much for coming on Buffalo What's Next. Thanks for having us, Angela. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUVJ Jamestown, your NPR station. Thank you.